Welcome to the 1-0 Podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. The 1-0 Podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel. Today on the 1-0 Podcast, we will talk a little bit of Texas basketball as the season starts tonight, or maybe yesterday if you're hearing this. And then we'll go into Texas' matchup with Kansas State and some things we want to see coming from things we want to see from the Longhorns coming out of the bye week. Listen to both our show and the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast, hosted by Kevin Dunn and Scipio Tex. Subscribe to our channel wherever you get your podcasts, and please rate and review to let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. If you have any questions or would like to contact us directly. Send us emails at everyone gets a trophy with the number one at gmail.com. That's everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. And the one and O podcast would not be possible with help from a few sponsors. Yeah, a couple of sponsors. Got to give some love to Audio Visual Consultations, avconsultations.com, the website, 512 255 8678. That's the phone number to call to get the home TV setup of your dreams. Indoors or outdoors, AV Consultations can make it happen for you. And also, Altstadt Beer brings you the one and no podcast. Altstadt Beer is German beer made in Central Texas and the absolute best beer that you could find in Central Texas. Pick up a six-pack wherever you shop for beer. It is the official beer of BK, the official beer of the one and no podcast, and it should be the official beer of you as well. It is Altstadt Beer. No impurities, no regrets. So Texas was off last week, the open week, the second bye week of the year, thanks to some wacky calendar stuff with Thanksgiving. So there wasn't a game, no game to review. Uh, I don't know if they went 1-0 against the bye week hmm. or not, but Texas basketball tonight, you know, a couple hours after recording this on November 5th, They've got an opportunity to go 1-0 and to start their season. It'll be, I can't remember, what year is this of Shaka Smart? Year 5. Year 5 of Shaka Smart, grand total of zero NCAA tournament victories is always going to be on everybody's mind, and two NCAA tournament appearances, and uh, what, an 11-win season, some three one-and-dones. The facts are what they are right now, and that basically means this is a pretty make-or-break year for Shaka Smart and his tenure, but... Good news for him, he may have his best coaching staff that he's accumulated at Texas. He may have the most complete roster, maybe not star-studded, but there doesn't seem to be a hole at a particular spot. The hole seems to be experience. So I know there's a lot of apathy, I'm sure, for everybody, but this could end up being a decent team if they can answer a few questions, most mostly in the front court. Yeah, I feel like we've heard the same things over the last couple of years from Shaka Smart and from Texas basketball fans. And I don't want to kill the optimism before the season even starts, but I'm very skeptical. And I think most Longhorn fans have every right to be skeptical with this head coach and with this basketball program. Zero tournament wins in four years doesn't cut it. The NIT championship, that doesn't cut it. This isn't the 1970s where winning the NIT actually means something. Like you, At minimum, you need to be making the tournament at the University of Texas, and Shaka Smart has only done that in two of his four years. Now, I was wrong. I thought going into last season that Texas needed not only to make the tournament, but also win a tournament game for Shaka Smart to get a fifth year. He didn't do either of those things, and here he is back from year five. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what Chris Del Conte what his opinion is with his Texas basketball program. I do know Chris Del Conte made a great hire at TCU with Jamie Dixon, bringing him back to his alma mater to be the head coach up there, and that has worked out pretty well for the Horned Frogs. So I'd like to think that CDC cares a lot about basketball, but 
I'm a little bit skeptical because a move wasn't made. You've got a new arena coming up in a couple of years. This program needs to turn around. Otherwise, Shaka Smart has to go. We'll see, though, man. I mean, there's some talented players. Once again, Shaka Smart has always recruited well. You mentioned the coaching staff bringing in Luke Yaklich from Michigan, who was the de facto defensive coordinator for the Wolverines under John Beeline for a number of years. This team was picked to finish fourth in the Big 12 by the Big 12 coaches. The expectations are relatively high, but nothing ridiculous, nothing that's unachievable for Texas. So we'll see if they can finally live up to what they're expected to do. Yeah, exactly. I think the biggest question as far as off-court coaching is what's what might Shaka Smart's role be? If, if you've got Neil Barry with hand, his hands very much involved in the offense and you, Luke Yaklich with his hands very much involved in the defense, what does that lead Shaka Smart to do? Is that is he a CEO guy? Is he a culture guy? And there's an answer, an argument, that maybe that might be the best thing for him. This is a culture-driven program. That's something that he emphasizes so much. You hear him talk more about off-the-court player development, that type of thing, than maybe so much X's and O's shooting and a lot of his press stuff. It's something he really cares about and it's probably pretty good at because despite all the struggles – there never has really seemed to be a team that just totally gave up on an entire season. There's been games where they've kind of, you know, came out and crapped the bed uh, after the 11 and, you know, whatever it was, start with the Jarrett or the 11 win season with, with Jared Allen. Of course, there was some times where they did not look as, as crisp as they ever could have been. But I can't really recall a time where a team has just, you know, totally. 100% mailed it in with about 10 games remaining and looked lackadaisical the whole time. And and I think Shaka can bring that out of his players, and we'll just have to see if the X's and O's part comes with it from those assistants. Yeah, but if that's the best thing you can say about a head coach is that they didn't quit on a season when they were out of contention, then that's a problem. I mean, I, I've got maybe unrealistic expectations for Texas basketball. I don't think they're unrealistic with the money that's pumped into this athletics program with the new arena coming. I mean, I grew up with Rick Barnes, and he was the best coach, best basketball coach that Texas ever had. Made a Final Four, a couple of other Elite Eights. I mean, second weekend of the tournament was almost expected during the prime Rick Barnes years, and that's just not happening with Shaka Smart. You mentioned it. He has zero tournament wins through four years at the University of Texas, so... I'm still very skeptical of him. You know, I, I've never understood his coaching philosophy once he got to Texas. What he did, what worked at VCU when the Rams went to the Final Four, none of that has been implemented at the University of Texas. So I'm not sure what to expect. Maybe it's good, like you mentioned, that they have a sort of offensive and defensive coordinator and he can kind of be the CEO slash motivator for this basketball team. But, man, they they got to find a way to score some points. Mm -hmm. And they've got to find a way to be more efficient on the offensive end of the floor. And they don't have an obvious one-and-done player this year. So I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that's a bad thing. I'll tell you what, even though Jackson Hayes ended up being one-and-done and a lottery pick, nobody thought that going into the season. So we were having this exact same conversation. Not on this podcast. It didn't exist. But Texas basketball fans were saying, Oh, maybe it's good. We don't have an obvious one-and-done player, so we can share the ball a little bit and give some guys some more opportunities to score. That was what we were talking about last year, and it didn't work. Texas missed the tournament. So I do like that the strength of this team is their backcourt. You need guards to be successful in today's college basketball, and Texas has a couple of pretty quality guards. But, uh, man, I, they need to shoot better. They need to shoot better. It's as simple as that. 
and the offensive system needs to be better, the execution needs to be better, and they just need to make some shots if they want to compete in what should be a very, very deep Big 12. Right, and I think the the biggest question going into the season, at least on the court for the Longhorns, is that front court, the bigs. You, you Like you mentioned, you have the experience of Courtney Ramey, Matt Coleman, even Andrew Jones, and uh, even Jace Febris. Those are all at least sec- or second-year guys, most of them third-year guys, who will probably be able to hold their own and you know perform at a level that they have been and probably a little bit above that. But as far as in the front court, you've got Jericho Sims, who's been the most hit-or-miss player at Texas, whether he was in a starting role or in a backcourt or in a backup role. Then you've got another uh, sophomore in Kamaka Hepa, who showed at times last year but couldn't really handle the physicality of the game. And then finally you have a couple freshmen in Will Baker and Kai Jones who are a lot of potential right now, but a lot of questions as to what they can actually produce on the floor. I think I think it's a given that Sims will be a starter, at least going forward, or at least in this early part of the season. But I'm still really curious as to what happens with that other front court spot. I, I think that's going to be something that's going to be by committee, at least for the first few non-conference games until somebody steps up and takes it. Yeah, maybe Royce Ham, who's been in this program for a couple of years, who's had a couple of moments but hasn't done a whole lot. But you're right, it sort of seems up for grabs, and that's the weakness of this Texas coaching t- or this Texas basketball team going into the season. It's a guard-oriented sport for sure, but you need to have some bigs down low to disrupt some things. And you look at the the preseason favorite in the Big 12, Kansas. They've got Udoka Azabuke. Like I don't know who the hell on Texas is going to guard that guy twice this year. Like, is it going to be Will Baker? I, I don't Ooh. know. I mean, there's nobody on this roster right now that you'd think can go up against some of the best bigs in college basketball. But, hey, once again, Shaka Smart at VCU, his teams were always undersized. They never had elite length and elite front court players, so maybe that's how he plans on winning this year for Texas. Uh, The Horns open up with UNC. No, not that UNC. Northern Colorado uh, tonight, Tuesday, November 5th, when we're recording this. I don't want to say you can't learn anything from this game because if Texas loses or if they struggle, then you know that, all right, this team might not be very good. But if Texas wins, you'll probably be like, all right, well, it's Northern Colorado. They're nothing special. The Longhorns, 16.5-point favorites going into this game tonight. Uh, Northern Colorado played one Power 5 team last year. That was Texas Tech, and Tech beat them by 31. So hopefully a similar result this evening. But Game 2 at Purdue. On Saturday at Mackey Arena against the 23rd-ranked team in the country, uh, a perennial tournament team, a team that made it all the way to the Elite Eight a season ago, you'll learn early on what type of basketball team you've got for Shaka Smart. Exactly. You've got a handful of total cupcakes that should be easy wins. You've got some pretty good power five teams or power teams in Purdue and Georgetown, uh, possibly Cal, and then you've got an elite team, possibly, depending on what happens in the – uh, 2K Empire Classic with Duke. Yeah. So you're going to figure out in this first month against a wide variety of opponents what this team will look like. And then once you get to Baylor, when the new year starts and the first game of the new year, you better know what's going on there. So a lot of questions to be answered, yet to be answered still for the entire program, coaching, personnel, attendance. You hmm. think they're even going to fill the lower bowl? I don't know. Not with this home slate, unfortunately. Not to see the NIT banner unveiled. There will be no unveiling. It's already up, apparently. That's great. Uh, 
that would be disappointing and kind of embarrassing if there was some sort of ceremony or unveiling for winning the NIT. But, yeah, man, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't know what it's going to take for people around here to care about basketball a little bit more. You know, Texas does play A&M in early December. Like a loss to the Aggies in any sport always gets people riled up, so that might be a big game for Shaka Smart. I'm pumped up, though, man. I'm excited to watch this team. Love the story of Andrew Jones coming back. We haven't even talked about him yeah, he could end up being a regular rotation piece. He could end up being the best player on this Texas basketball team. I mean, before his cancer diagnosis, he probably was mm-hmm. the best player on this team. I don't know what to expect. I don't want to give any unfair expectations to the kid, but uh, just the fact that he's on the court is obviously awesome. But there's some talent, enough talent, on this team to at least make the NCAA tournament, but we've probably been able to make that argument the last couple of years, and it hasn't always happened. But... uh Ready to go. Year five of Shaka Smart at the Frank Irwin Center. Anything else basketball-wise? We're on to football. We're on to football. All right, no game for the Longhorns this past weekend. Of course, the second of two bye weeks, as Joe mentioned. But the Horns back at it this Saturday afternoon, a 2.30 kickoff. That's been announced since our last episode. 2.30 against Kansas State at home. The Purple Cats 6-2 and two on the year. 3-2 and two in Big 12 Conference play. They are riding a three-game win streak. They are also the 20th ranked team in college football. They invade Austin this Saturday at 2.30. Joe, early thoughts, early reaction from the study, the film that you've watched on Kansas State. What do you think uh, the Wildcats are bringing to town with first-year head coach Chris Kleiman? A lot of what Chris Kleiman does is pretty philosophically similar to what Bill Snyder did. Now, it may not be running the single wing with a you know Colin Klein type back there or, or Alex Delton, but there's a lot of pretty – you know, basic stuff. They run even out of the shotgun and even under center. They have a fullback on the field. That's classic Kansas State football, classic every man a wildcat type football. So even though the the head coach has changed at Kansas State, which is a very momentous thing in the world of college football after the legend Bill Snyder finally hung up the windbreaker, a lot of what they do is still pretty similar. And Skyler, uh, Skyler Thompson still has a pretty good grasp on it. Uh, watching him I watched a little bit of what he was able to do against Kansas and a little bit of what he was able to do against Oklahoma. He he's a great constraint for that for defenses. He is able to uh, deliver the ball pretty well to Dalton Schoen, who seems like he's on the Perry Ellis track to be there eight years. Yep. Uh, but he's also used in the run game. He is a pretty athletic guy, and so Texas is going to have to keep track of him no matter what he does on the field this Saturday. So you'll see a lot of different offensive looks from Kansas State, uh, just very similar to what Kleiman's North Dakota State teams did. A lot of under center, fullbacks on the field, tight ends on the field, bunch formations, a lot of different stuff. They they mix it up pretty well, and Thompson seems to have a good grasp on that in his senior year in Manhattan. But we'll see what happens when they have to travel Texas has always had struggles in Manhattan. They kind of exercised those demons last year. Uh, but they've been able to hold their own against them in Austin yep. over the last two year or the last two occasions. I can't remember 2013, but I remember the 2015 rain game and then the 2017 Sam Ellinger coming out party. Texas has had to work, but they've gotten those wins. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's something pretty similar to that this weekend. Yeah, Texas has won two in a row against the Wildcats, and you have to go all the way back to 2011, uh, the end of the Mac Brown era, I guess the second to last year of the Mac Brown era, the last time Kansas State beat the Longhorns in Austin. So you're right, K-State, 
one of two teams in this conference that boasts a winning record against the Longhorns, the other one being West Virginia all-time. But uh, the Longhorns with a chance to tie up the overall series at 10 this Saturday. And I'll tell you what, Chris Kleiman, a lot of Longhorn fans probably don't know too much about him coming from the FCS level. This guy's a hell of a coach, man. I mean, he won four national championships in five years coaching at North Dakota State. Now, he walked into a phenomenal program. Craig Bull, the previous coach, he had won three titles in a row before he took the job at Wyoming. But I don't care what level of football you're playing at. I don't care what you walk into. You have to be a damn good coach to win a national championship at any level. Chris Kleiman is just that. I was surprised by how many K-State fans were upset by the hire when it was announced last offseason. As like a Big 12 fan, as a Texas fan, I'm, I'm thinking, oh my God, like that's a great get. Why did that guy only take K-State? Like I feel like he could have gotten a bigger job somewhere else. He takes the job in Manhattan, and they're 6-2. and two, And he's all about the process, or process, as you people out there say it. But he's like, man, just, just stick to what we say. Stick to the process, and the results will come. Don't worry about the results right now. Just do what we all want to do, and then the results will speak for themselves. And that is working. And the players are buying in. We got to talk to some of the players uh, at Big 12 Media Days before the season. And you could tell they were already believing what Chris Kleiman had to say. They love the new coach. And they have a pretty experienced roster, a lot of returning talent. And it's not that different from what Bill Snyder has been running. So relatively smooth transition. And this guy's a really, really good football coach. I didn't think it'd be this quick before... K-State would be seeing the or reaping the benefits of the Chris Kleiman hire, but I figured at some point he would be the right guy. And, yeah, they're playing some really good football right now, already bowl eligible. They've got a couple of very impressive wins on their schedule, including knocking off Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago. This K-State team is is pretty good, and it feels like they're trending in the right direction. Right, and like I mentioned, it does a lot of things that good Kansas State teams of the past have always done, and that's that they, the same has continued this year. Uh, they can run the ball pretty darn well. They have a balanced attack. They're in the 20 to 40 range in a lot of statistical rankings, including rushing offense, total defense, passing yards allowed, scoring defense, turnover margin, and first down defense. That's where they are really good. Uh, Kansas State is 12th in the country in first down defense, but that's facing a Texas strength. Texas is 10th in the country in first down offense, so that'll be a big matchup to look at. Uh, the other thing that they do pretty well is, they, like I mentioned, they hold on to the ball. They run the ball. They are third in the country in time of possession, I believe, with just over 35 minutes. Texas is 38th, so they're all right, but it's it's 38th still being just north of the 30-minute mark. So Texas still went, on average, wins the time of possession battle for what that's worth. You still have to win the games, but I think it shows a little bit of what both teams do stylistically yeah they play smart and they're fundamentally sound and I don't know if you could say either of those things about this Texas football team right now and if you're talking about a Bill Snyder coach team that's generally what you say with them Uh, that has not left the K-State football program you're right time of possession third in the country opponents are only averaging 58 plays per game against this defense like you better be buttoned up on offense because you might not get the ball very much and that's how K-State beat Oklahoma they just killed the clock with their run game, and they left Jalen Hurts on the sideline. That's how, that's how they were able to build that big lead in the third quarter. And I'll give you one other stat for you uh, gamblers out there, for you cousins out there, and we'll give our lock of the week at the end of this episode like we always do. Kansas State is third in the country against the spread 
They are beating the spread by an average of 11.5 points. Only Ohio State, the Ohio State, and Navy are doing better against the spread than Kansas State is. And Texas opened up at a 5.5 to 6.5 point favorite. The side I'm looking at right now has the Longhorns as a 7 point favorite. I do not like to hear the stat that I just gave in regarding Kansas State because they've been doubted a lot this year and they just keep finding ways to not only win but to also cover some lines and that uh, scares the heck out of me. So they're smart. They don't turn the ball over. They hold on to the football, and they're not an explosive offense by any stretch, right? Eighth in the conference in total offense. They're tied for sixth in scoring offense. They're actually the worst passing offense in the Big 12, even worse than TCU. They're 40 yards worse per game than TCU at throwing the football. So not an explosive offense, but they're smart, and their defense just they're, they're good. They don't miss tackles. They know where they're supposed to be. They're great on first down. They're also great on third down as well. They make you work for every yard that you have to get. This will be a tough test for Texas on Saturday. Yeah, there is one team in the country better in getting the offense off the field on third downs. Uh, Kansas State, number two in the country, and Texas, that's a strength. They're really good in third down percentage. So, yeah. Who was that three team, though, that, that – was it Oklahoma? that had a really good third-down defense, and Texas had an awesome third-down offense, and Texas completely lost that battle. Exactly. Like I, I'm with you, but the, the only time we've seen that before hasn't gone very very much in Texas's favor. Right. So there's definitely a few places where Kansas State has shown at least to have a statistical advantage and definitely a few places where Texas has an advantage in a place where they feel like they can, uh, they can maybe find some points. And in finding points specifically – there was one area I think Texas has a clear advantage, and that's in the red zone. Uh, currently this year, uh, Kansas State has allowed 100% of opponents who enter the red zone to get points. Now, 11 of, them, 11 of them have been touchdowns, 8 of them have been field goals, and that's a place where Texas normally does okay. Last week, with the exception of a Cameron Dicker missed field goal, they took advantage of their red zone opportunities against TCU, so Texas could find a, a, a opportunity to score points if they get into the red zone because Kansas State just has not been good defending it. The problem is they have to get there first I against a defense that knows how to stop the, the offense on third down. Yeah, you and I differ on our definitions of success in the red zone. Like, I get Texas came away with points in four of their five red zone drives last week, but you need touchdowns once right. you get into that red area. And that was the difference in the game last week. Texas kept having to settle for three, not last week, I guess two weeks ago against TCU. you got to capitalize on your opportunities when you get down there. So, yeah, I, I mean, the stats, there's some compelling matchups, man. I mean, it's strength on strength, right? This Texas offense, one of the most efficient in college football. They're sixth in S&P Plus offense, which is a opponent-adjusted metric. So, you know, sometimes when you hear stats about Texas, you're like, well, they just padded those stats against Rice and Louisiana Tech. No, like, this stat considers the opponent that Texas is going up against, and they are viewed as the sixth most efficient offense in the country. So, look, you feel like Sam Ellinger gives you a chance against any defense in college football, but no doubt he's going to have to play a whole heck of a lot better than the last time we saw him against TCU. And you can argue that this Kansas State defense is a little bit better than TCU. So it's going to be tough sledding for this football team, no doubt. And I think something that's interesting, Joe, these two teams have played the same three opponents in their last three games. Kansas State's last three games have been against TCU, against Oklahoma, 
and at Kansas this past weekend. They went 3-0 and against those three teams. Texas's last three games, a different order, of course, but Oklahoma up in Dallas, Kansas at home, and then at TCU. And the Longhorns went 1-2 and against those opponents and needed a 50-yard field, 50-yard field goal, a 33-yard field goal to put up 50 and hold on to beat Kansas. So the common opponents thing, and it's kind of dangerous to use the transitive property when we're talking about college football or any level of football because every Saturday is different. Anything can happen any, time, any given Saturday. But the common opponents theory is not in Texas's favor right now. And I'll tell you what, Joe. Kansas State has dominated the lines of scrimmage against all three of those opponents. What Texas has not done, what's been the biggest change for the Longhorns from weeks one through five, or games one through five and games six through eight, has been their inability to win either lines of scrimmage. Kansas State is just playing more physical right now. Their O-line is getting the job done, and their D-line is getting the job done as well. That's what scares me with this matchup. We talk about it all the time. Football is won and lost in the trenches, and against the same opponents, K-State has dominated up front, whereas Texas has struggled to impose their will against some of the same Big 12 teams. Right, and I think, like you mentioned, the the physicality of the Kansas State offense, I think there could be an opportunity for Texas there to maybe hold them to a stalemate. Like I mentioned, they run a lot of fullback sets. They run a lot of I-formation sets. That'll put them into situations where Texas can get a true four-linebacker look on the field and in Todd Orlando's illustrious career at the University of Texas, it's <laughs> that's tongue in cheek, by the yeah. way. Uh, in that career, <laughs> illustrious. Huh? That's Texas has played do- solid defense when they have four linebackers on the field. When they have, at least in this case, Joseph Osai and Byron Vaughn's both playing those outside linebacker spots. That could be a place where Texas could find some advantage because then you put Juwan Mitchell, who might be your best middle linebacker, if not for sure your best middle linebacker on the field. And then you have Aodelia Dayway, who, though limited going backwards, is pretty solid going forward. So Texas needs to be careful to uh, make sure that their pass coverage is improved. I think we've said that every single week because once they get in those power situations and they have to win, it might be it might be an advantage for the Texas defense if they have to get all these big guys on the field. Yeah, I like that you use the term stalemate because I think that's what we kind of have here. Todd Orlando's mantra and what his defenses always try to do, and they don't always succeed, but what they always try to do is stop the run. You mentioned it earlier, Kansas State still is a fullback on the field. I mean, they'll still go 12 personnel with two tight ends on the football field. It's still some smash mouth old school football. Now they spread it a little bit more than they have in the past, but they don't get away from that old school sort of Big Ten style of football that if you watch North Dakota State, that's what they ran up there. Todd Orlando, he sells out to stop the run on early downs, and Kansas State runs the ball more than 70% of the time on first down. So we saw that with Oklahoma State this year, right? Mike Gundy, who's a hell of an offensive mind, he played right into Todd Orlando's hands. He kept running the ball on first and second down. Now, I know Chuba Hubbard's a stud and one of the best running backs leading the country in rushing yards right now. He's awesome. But you're playing right into Todd Orlando's hands if you're just running the ball on early downs because his defenses sell out to stop the run. So I'm curious if K-State sticks to their tendencies, which would be to run a lot on first and second down, or if they do what TCU did and say, ah, this secondary sucks. It's one of the worst pass defenses in college football. Let's break our own tendency here and try to pick up some yards through the air and take advantage of Todd Orlando. That's an interesting matchup because on paper, 
that's a wash. K-State likes to run early on early downs, and Texas does a good job defending the run on early downs. So we'll see which team can adjust to that. And the other thing that will definitely help out the Longhorns is Caden Stearns is back in the two deep. He is, Tom Herman described him as probable. I believe he described B.J. Foster as probable as well. On the offensive side, Jordan Winnington also got that tag. So you are getting, instead of maybe having to have a true freshman out there and Tyler Owens, you may have a first-team all-conference player in Caden Stearns to help shore up things in the back end. And that'll help us really see, is it the injuries or is it the defense? Is it a combination? Where where can the blame be shifted? Caden Stearns, B.J. Foster being out there at the same time with Brandon Jones – with a fully healthy cornerback contingent, Texas really has no excuse yep. with the with the guys that they're probably going to have out there for this game. And look, you know, B.J. Foster's been playing hurt. Demarvion Overshone has been playing hurt. Jeffrey McCulloch has been playing until last week against TCU. Like all of those guys have been playing while this defense has been so bad. The only potential real saving grace for me is Caden Stearns who was a freshman All-American last year. And I know Caden Stearns played against LSU, but he was banged up in that game. But he's the guy that can maybe save this defense. You mentioned it. It allows guys like Brandon Jones and B.J. Foster to go back to playing their natural positions. And that guy, I mean, he's the wolf of DKR. You just want him out on the field. He's a way better option than some of the dudes that you've had to trot out there over the last couple of years. So you're right. I mean, if all those guys are healthy, and somebody at Tom Herman's availability on Monday asked the question like, how healthy are these guys going to be, or or how effective do you expect them to be if they're not 100% healthy? And Tom Herman basically said, if they're on the field playing at the University of Texas, we expect them to be playing well. Like, they need to play the way that we expect them to play, the way that they're supposed to play. So, we haven't seen that from B.J. Foster, because he's been obviously hurt. DeMarvion Overshone has been a little inconsistent at times, playing with injuries. So, hopefully the bye week allowed those guys to get relatively close to 100%, or at least more than 90%. But, uh, man, Caden Stearns is the only guy that we really haven't seen. But I agree with you, Joe. I mean, no excuses. You know, you're going up against, statistically, what did I say, the worst passing offense in the Big 12. And they're one of the worst passing offenses in all of college football. And you've got your entire complement of secondary pieces back, except for Chris Brown. But statistically, I mean, this should be a a turnaround game for this Texas defense. Yeah, and... We'll, we'll we'll have to see what happens with Caden Stearns, what version of him we're getting, yeah. if we're going to get that 90%. Same with B.J. Foster. But if he's suited up, if he's out there taking uh, first-team reps and pregame warm-ups, you're going to see him on the field, and you're going to hope that you're, that you're getting the wolf of DKR back once again. So what's your confidence level? I mean, another thing that Kansas State brings to the table that scares me is a dual-threat quarterback. I mean, that's not only a 2019 issue for Todd Orlando defenses. That's a a two-and-a-half-year issue for Tom Herman and Todd Orlando and this defense. Skylar Thompson is a better runner than Max Duggan and Carter Stanley. And those guys kind of had their way getting outside and picking up yards on the ground against this Texas defense. I mean, Skylar Thompson, four rushing touchdowns against Oklahoma. He had 129 rushing yards and three more TDs against Kansas. That guy is the best quarterback that Texas has seen in the last three weeks, and this Longhorn defense has made Carter Stanley and Max Duggan look like all-conference caliber players. So that scares me. A dual-threat quarterback, a guy with experience. Uh, he saw this Texas defense in the second half last year, nearly led K-State to a comeback win over the Longhorns, and that guy poses a lot of problems to things that have plagued this Longhorn defense in the past. Yeah, one of my notes from watching KS, uh, Kansas State's games from the recent weeks is, 
the corners are going to have to be smart. Not only are they not afraid to run uh, Skylar Thompson, but they're not afraid to run him outside, and they're not afraid to run him with the speed option. So the whole uh, contain issues that have been plaguing the Texas defense, setting the edge, that's going to be that's going to be tested pretty much immediately by Skylar Thompson. They are not afraid to put him outside or run him outside uh, with a pitch option. Uh, corners are going to be tested, and this is going to be one of those situations where, sure, you may tell him to hey, beat on this guy or beat on the outside and wait for your help to come inside and let Skylar go a little bit so you're not beat by maybe the better running back athlete. Or you may tell the corner, hey, you know, you go get Skylar and let everybody pursue to the sideline to get the other guy. But whatever they do, they're going to have to be consistent with it, and the corners are going to have to be ready to hold up in the run game like they have always been asked to do under this Todd Orlando defense. Yeah, you just got to be disciplined, and that's a word that has been lacking from this Texas defense this year. I mean, you've got to keep contained on Skylar Thompson all day long on Saturday. We didn't see a quarterback spy against Oklahoma, which was very confusing. Now, Skylar Thompson's not the runner that Jalen Hurts is, but I think he's good enough to where you have to keep a guy on spy on him more often than not. I mean, he is that much of a weapon. He's the second-leading rusher for this K-State team, averaging five yards a carry, which includes sacks, by the way. So this guy, every time he takes off and run, whether it's a design quarterback run, I mean, you'll see some option look. You'll see some triple option look from Kansas State on Saturday. At least we've seen that to this point. Whether it's that, a design run like that, or he just takes off and goes, uh, he can cause some problems for this Texas defense. And that matchup scares me. And they've got a couple of other running backs, James Gilbert and don't call him Harry Potter, but Harry Trotter. Uh, the white running back. Those guys are pretty good as well. Jordan Brown in the mix. I mean, there's a lot of talent in that Kansas State backfield. And they've got three or four different ball carriers who can take off and uh, make you pay. And one other thing that I guess we're, we're caught up with talking about the uh, offense and the defense, but Texas special teams needs to be basically like an umpire. Don't even know that they're there. You know, even if it's just fair catching, even if it's just making 30-yard field goals, mm-hmm. even if it's just getting punts off normally – it's got to be there, – there can't be these issues that have been surrounding it basically each and every game. Oklahoma State was close because of it. You missed a field goal against TCU. Uh, you allowed a field goal thanks to a little you know, mistimed icing of the kicker hmm. to TCU as well. Punt, punts have been an issue on the return game. Re- just returns and everything. I mean, yeah, I'm just average li- negative punt return yards. They're the only team in college football to do that. I didn't think that was possible. And, all, and this Texas special teams unit has been that bad that they've got that stat. And I'm with you 100%. I mean, you don't want to notice special teams. Like, just you don't need to have an impact type of play. Texas did have a punt return for a touchdown last year against Kansas State. You don't need that. Just don't shoot yourself in the foot with dumb special teams errors. And another storyline to watch. No punter, or no punter's cousin this week. It's uh, it's Chris N. I'm just going to call him Chris N. You know, i got to be careful with that one. Uh, he'll likely to be doing the punting for the Longhorns. So, yeah, I mean, Kansas State's always buttoned up on special teams. Their kicker, Blake Lynch, is 10 of 11 this year. He's pretty talented. You've got to be better in that third facet of the game. And it's funny. You're right, Joe. Nobody talks about that. Offense and defense. That's always the topic of conversation when you're talking about football it almost feels like that's what's happening in the locker room. It feels like some things aren't being coached right now on the special teams. That's Tom Herman. That falls on Tom Herman. Hopefully over the bye week they've done a better job of shoring some things up in that third facet. Yeah, it, Chris Nagar better be ready for uh, an increased role. He's got probably going to beat the holder. 
most likely going to be the punter, although the the depth chart listed them as an or there with Cameron Dicker. Mm. But I, Cameron Dicker did that a little bit in college. I mean, in high school at Lake Travis, all these guys, if you're a top flight kicker, they tend to do a little bit of both. So, but one didn't go to pro kick Australia, and one is not the punter's cousin. So, uh, you got to hope for a quick return for. Uh, Ryan Bucheski hoped that his clavicle his surgery was successful. I, I, have, I don't think Tom Herman provided an update for that, but figure that out probably on Thursday at his availability. And you just like you mentioned, you don't want to notice special teams because that's all Texas has been able to do is during the season. They've made it noticeable, whether it's drops, misses, you know, whatever it be, mm-hmm. may be. You got to stop making that a thing that costs you points, games, drives, etc. Before. I ask you a big picture question about this Texas program. Jordan Whittington, we mentioned his name earlier, but haven't talked about him much. Probable. Practice last week, practice on Sunday. He's been practicing this week by all accounts. What type of role, if any, do you expect Jordan Whittington to have in this offense on Saturday? I would not be surprised if they try to get him some action. Now, they, they try to, uh, the coaches on for Texas try to maintain a meritocracy and Let's be honest, Jordan Whittington has played, I think, what, four college snaps or one drive or something like that. However, everybody understands his talent. I, I saw him multiple times at Quero. Everybody saw that state title game, mm-hmm. and everybody saw the spring game where he had a pretty solid showing. So I think he'll likely be given a few snaps, but he's not done anything quite yet to overtake Keonta Ingram, overtake Rashawn Johnson. And plus, I think they want to bring him along a little bit slowly to make sure that they don't throw everything on him too quickly because going back to high school, even kind of going back here, they, he's had some issues with returning to action from injury a little too quickly, mostly in high school. And I don't think they want to take that risk. That's why they sent him to see one of the best specialists for his problem in Philadelphia, sent him back again, have made sure that they are rehabbing this right. So I think they definitely want to see him because he's an exciting player. He might have been the best athlete in the class for Texas in that 2019 class. But it's a it's a Tom Herman meritocracy. Rashawn Johnson is a really solid running back. Keonta Ingram has seen some – he's played a little well, bit better. It's over, a meritocracy except at the running back position. Right. Because I, I think you and I both feel like the best running back is not the starting running back right now. But I'm with you. I'd love to see some 20 personnel. Mm-hmm. Why not get two of those guys on the field? Ingram and Johnson, Ingram and Whittington, Johnson and Whittington – just have more weapons. And now that you don't have Cade Brewer, like an obvious tight end to throw out there, maybe bring in a second running back to add another piece to this offense. Yeah, this is the week you could probably do it, considering this is the strongest your depth has been since all those guys went down in training camp. So uh, I'd be down to see it, but we'll see if Tom Herman divorces from ten hmm. from 11 personnel. So a big-picture program question Tom Herman last week didn't have a game week press conference, but he was available to the media Wednesday night. And somebody said this. I can't remember if this came from that or if this came from after the game against TCU, but he was asked about what he's working on. What's the number one thing you're working on during this bye week? And it wasn't an X's and O's thing from Tom Herman. He said relationships. So there's some issues right now in terms of relationships between the older guys on this team and the younger guys on this team and made it sound like maybe the younger guys, the underclassmen on this Longhorn roster, aren't really buying in and aren't really rowing the boats in the same direction as the older guys. Does that bother you? 
right now? And do you think that's something that's been improved over the last couple of weeks? Does it bother me? Yeah. I mean, you don't want to hear about dissension in the wa- in the locker room or dissent in the locker room, even when a team is, you know, five and three and a lot of its goals are still on the table. But it makes sense because there's is a team with a lot of young contributors. And I'm sure it's a it's a thing across college football. Heck, we even saw it. With the, when the current class of seniors were freshmen in that there was obvious clashes between the guys who had been brought in under Mac Brown, who had, you know, thought they had a spot, and then the class that Charlie Strong brought in who played immediately, there was not a lot of cohesion there. Now, there also wasn't a lot of winning, and, you know, though the winning hasn't been up to the standard a lot of fans want it quite yet across Tom Herman's tenure – it's still been there more than it was under Charlie Strong. Mm-hmm. So I believe that alleviates it. And, yeah, I think that's a sign of Tom Herman seeing, you know, I'm a young coach. This is something I'm not used to dealing with. Maybe it was a blind spot. It's something I need to improve. And players were available today. Keandre Coburn, Malcolm Roach, uh, Devin DuVernay, a lot of those guys said that was what the bye week was pretty good for is that we were able to not only just hang out with these guys on the football field and, talk about you know all the good things you've done or just harp on the bad things, but they're trying to make sure that this is a cohesive locker room and that you know they know that the only way that they can get back to Arlington is if they're all working together. Yep. And I think that was Tom Herman making sure that not only did he keep guys together uh, who, you know, it's not rats off a shinking ship, not at all, but it, it can be hard to keep your mind on the on the – focus of a Big 12 championship when you start losing not only to top-ranked teams like LSU and Oklahoma, but against TCU in a game you shouldn't have. So I think that's a small sign of maturity from Tom Herman. You don't like that it got to that point where you had to kind of create, I believe it was a bridge between um, the older players and younger players, but it's something that he obviously spotted and recognized that needed addressing. And I think seems to have done a good job of doing so. Yeah, I mean, that's on the coaching staff, but it's also on the older members, the leadership the leadership council of this Texas football team. I mean, that's, that's on them, too. You've got to foster those relationships. Look, it's on the coaches, of course, to make sure everyone's bought into your message, but coaches don't hang out with players outside of practice. They only get a certain amount of time that they're allowed to spend with the players each and every week. Like the players need to make sure they're hanging out. And talking, talking shop, but also just hanging out and becoming friends with each other to make sure that the bridge is there, that these guys are all on the same page and they're all boys and the chemistry is all there with this football team. It just doesn't sound like that's happening right now. Tom Herman said he met with every member of the 2019 class, so all of the freshmen, and said that all of them are in great spirits. But you think about it, the underclassmen are the guys like Brandon Eagle, skipping practice, getting suspended, other reports about guys missing practice or arguing with coaches, those are all coming from the younger guys. So hopefully you got that fixed over the bye week and everybody is, I hate to go rowing the boat. I, I'm going too much P.J. Fleck. Like I need another expression for that. Hey, you're going to have eight more years of P.J. There Fleck There you go, in up in Minnesota. Yeah, increasing that buyout for when he takes a better job somewhere else. Sorry, Minnesota fans. But uh, hopefully everyone's just going in the right direction at this point with this Texas football team because – I'm not sure that has been the case. And Tom Herman, I don't think he'd be making that up, right? I don't think he would say that if it wasn't true. So, look, the month of October was terrible for this football program. You, you go 2-2, two and two, you nearly lose to the worst team in this conference. You lose a couple of commitments on the recruiting trail, ended up being three. Uh, you've got a couple of players transfer away as well. 
injuries. This defense struggled. Sam Ellinger had his worst game in a Texas uniform. But you turn the page. It's November now. Hopefully this team can get back on track on Saturday against K-State. Any other X's and O's talk for the Wildcats, or are we ready for predictions for this one? I think I'm ready for predictions on here. I'll let you go first, sir. We both had Texas beating TCU. That did not happen. Of course, there was no game last week, so no prediction on last week's episode that we did with Kevin Dunn. Texas, a seven-point favorite, at least what I'm seeing right now, a little after 4 o'clock on Tuesday. What's your expectations for what happens at DKR on Saturday? I think this might be pretty close to a coin flip. I think this is a game that, you know, one team's going to score 30 and one team isn't, and I, I think that's kind of where the margin is. It's That would put it, I think, just above the over-under of 58.5 that I'm looking at, so I think it's going to be one of those things where the two teams combine to get right at the total. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be a one-possession game. Probably, I, I really don't think it's going to be a seven-point game. I think this comes down to a field goal or getting ahead, you know, last minute, something like that. And I don't know if Texas wins. I really think it's a 50-50 coin mm. flip, and, and I think we've seen enough of Kansas State knowing what they can do really well doing it against elite opponents and feel like they can do it wherever they go. Uh, Now, if they'll be able to replicate that in Austin instead of within the state of Kansas, it's a little bit different to be seen, especially since they haven't done well too often in the past. But that was a different regime. I think this is a confident Kansas State team that that has every reason to be. I don't know if the Texas team has that same level of confidence, and I would not be surprised if Kansas State comes out with about a three- or four-point victory. You're picking K-State. I'm going to pick Don't give K-State. me the I wouldn't be surprised. We need a prediction, man. I'll pick K-State. You know, K-State has played three road games this year, and they're 2-1. and one. Now, one of them was against Kansas this past weekend. They killed KU, but that was also almost neutral site. The booth was packed, though. The booth was packed. The first sellout at KU uh, since 2009, but it was a third-to-a-half K-State fan. So that wasn't a real true road game. Kansas State lost its only other road game in conference play to Oklahoma State. 26-13 to was the final in Stillwater. And K-State beat Mississippi State in Starkville. And that was when we thought Mississippi State was pretty good. And we're like, damn, that's a big win for K-State to go on the road against that team. Turns out Mississippi State sucks. So I don't know if Kansas State has really done anything on the road worth bragging about. Obviously, coming into Austin, this will be a little bit uh, of a different story. I'm picking Kansas State, though. 34-28 to is the prediction I've got for Saturday. I mean, I love that Texas is coming off of a bye week. They're well-rested. They've, just, they've got just about everybody healthy going into this game, but Kansas State has been more physical. And against the exact same three opponents that Texas has played over the last four weeks, K-State has beaten all of those teams, and they've been more physical, and they've got Skylar Thompson, a dual-threat quarterback, who we've seen him give Texas problems in the past, but we've seen dual-threat quarterbacks cause an issue for Todd Orlando defenses. So, yeah, I'm picking Kansas State. Wrong team favored. They won't just cover the seven, but I think they're going to win this game outright. God, the, what has happened to this podcast, man? The other, the other interesting thing looking on my site is that Texas is a minus 270 money line favorite, which seems like a pretty big margin for a team that neither of us have a bunch here? of. Yeah. What are we missing what here? Is like, Vegas, Vegas is always right. And I hope they're right and on we Saturday. Even, we even went through all these different stats where Texas has advantages and Kansas State has advantages, and it doesn't seem like it's a place 
Texas is going to, you know, overall overwhelmingly succeed, but Vegas seems to think that they're a score better. Yeah, but Vegas has been wrong with Kansas State. We mentioned it. Kansas State third in the country against the spread. They're covering the spread by an average of 11.5 points per game. So Vegas has a good beat on just about everybody, but they have not had a good beat on Kansas State this year. So both of us picking Kansas State, close games, one-score games, but uh, picking the Wildcats to come into Austin and leave with their first victory here against Texas since 2011. All right, changing the subject, we've talked Texas basketball, we've talked Texas football. What about our lock of the week? One game against the spread in college football. And congrats to you, Joe. Got to give you the uh, the standing ovation for the first time in the history of the 1-0 podcast. The you illustrious history. Your 1-0 uh, lock of the week correct. You picked Marshall to knock off Rice by more than 11 points. They did, in fact, cover. So congratulations. I'm on a little bit of a heater right here. Two in a row for me. I had K-State minus five against Kansas they won that game 38-10. to 10. It wasn't even close. I'll let you go first, my friend. What is your college football lock of the week for week 11 of the college football season? Man, I'm taking a couple scrolls here on the uh, looking through the sheet on my iPad, and it's kind of hard to figure one out, but I think my lock of the week is Herm dethroning possibly putting the nail in the coffin of the Clay Helton era. Minus one and a half Whoa. in Sun Devil Stadium. I am going to go with Herm. I Herm think he, Edwards. I think he can take the Sun Devils and knock off USC at home and just really, really start the Urban Meyer search in earnest. Boy, that's a juicy line right there. Only one and a half. Arizona at home against the USC Arizona team. State. Arizona State, excuse me, against the USC team. team, No, 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 no. no. The USC got killed by Oregon this past week at home. That's interesting. There's a couple I really like, man. I mean, Baylor's only a two-point favorite at TCU. I don't know what to expect from the Horn Frogs these days. Penn State minus six and a half at Minnesota is very intriguing. I mean, Tennessee is favored in a football game. I know they're playing Kentucky, but God, that one, that one I like a lot. But I'm going to go with Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Minus nine and a half at home against Iowa. Uh, Wisconsin coming off of a bye week after their embarrassing loss to the Ohio State University. I just don't think Iowa is very good. I mean, their defense is solid, but their offense has struggled to put up points against any good defense that they played in 2019. I just think this would be low scoring, but uh, I don't think Iowa's able to crack double digits against this Wisconsin team. So give me the Badgers at home, jumping around minus the 9.5 against the Hawkeyes. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the 1-0 podcast. A friendly reminder, give us some love, like this podcast, rate it, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. One more shout-out to our sponsors, Audiovisual Consultations and Altstat Beer. Uh, feel free to follow us both on Twitter. Joe is at josephcook89. I am at Brad Kellner. And listen to the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast with Kevin Dunn and Paul Wadlington. And what else am I missing? Have we touched on everything? I think we got it all. The email, everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. That's everyone. The number one gets a trophy at gmail.com. Uh, shouts to Fritz for sending another email. 
He said, if you're Tom Herman, what do you do to fix things? I think we touched on a lot of that. But, look, I think there's a lot of coaches on this coaching staff coaching for their job. Not Tom Herman, but Todd Orlando for sure, and some of the position coaches on this Texas coaching staff. Four games left for the Longhorns. If they don't show some serious improvement, uh, Tom Herman's going to have some tough choices to make in the offseason. I don't know about cleaning house, but he's going to have to make some changes to this coaching staff to make sure things are going in the right direction for next year. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks so much for listening. For Joe Cook, I am BK Brad Kellner. Until next time, you'll have a good one and hook them.